This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. It's been a very exciting past few weeks months let's go back to the draft and futures game but past few weeks in particular past week in particular has been very exciting and last week on uh, our episode of the podcast we previewed the release of the mid-season rankings top 100 list team top 30 lists the top 10 by position list all re-ranked to include 2023 draftees to take into account performance over the first half of the season Um, and uh, in addition to that we this week are putting out our farm system rankings which is always very exciting as well we're going to break down both of those things the re-rank and the farm system rankings and uh, we have an interview with someone who is on the top 100 prospects list this is a return guest i don't know how many repeat guests we've had so far Uh, but Brooks Lee is one of the first for sure Uh, Jonathan had a chance to talk to the twins number two prospect their top pick from the 2022 draft Uh, we'll check in with him in a bit and we'll wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag Um, guys how are you 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 made it through the re-rank one of the busiest uh the busiest month of the season with the draft and futures game signing deadline trade deadline re-rank it's been a whirlwind you've you've come out alive and uh this was for me a really fun re-rank like this this is one of the more exciting top 100 prospects lists that that i can recall what why was why this one more exciting than previous ones i think it's very exciting because of uh, the historic nature of the draftee debuts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Skeens and Cruz ranking as highly as they do. The top five who in the draft was a clear cut top five. And you guys talked often about how any one of them would have been in contention to go, you know, would have been a, a perfectly fine number one overall pick in most years. And I think, you know, that's reflected in the rankings. Um, I think that having a 17, uh, a 17, a barely 17 year old yeah. in the top five is, uh, very exciting and unprecedented. Uh, so I, th- I think those things and, you know, and somebody who looks like a, a really bona fide number one overall prospect and Jackson holiday staying there, all, all of those things to me, uh, yeah. make, make this list a, a very exciting one. I agree, by the way, I just wanted to give you a little, a little runway to, provide some yeah. analysis you're usually so it, setting what, us up so i wanted to turn it around for a minute yeah what, what do you guys think i mean it, do you have that same do you have a similar sense in, in putting this together or i don't know am i am i alone here I, I mean i i do especially at the top you know i think uh 
the the flip side of the coin is that pitching is a little rough right now. You know, guys gotten hurt, um, not performing, but all those things that you mentioned. I know we're going to dig into it a little bit more uh, now. Did make it exciting, and like, I love I love the exercise of trying to figure out where to put the new draft class anyway. Uh, I mean, we always talk about how imperfect a science this is in general, but this is really, it's a tough, it's a tough exercise. And I think Jim, you would agree. We, I think going in, if someone had said that the, uh, we're setting the over under of 2023 draftees in the top 100 at 11, we'd take the over. I, I, I came in thinking we'd have a bunch just because this draft class seems so good, but that's what we ended up with, right? 11. Is that right? Yeah. And I think it's 11 and you're right. And I, and also I don't, I feel like we've had a greater number than usual of graduations to the big leagues from the preseason list. I, I think it won't. I think it's more than thirty. Um, honestly, I, I lost track. Um, we've had a number of pitching injuries to the very best pitching prospects in baseball. Like it feels like at least a third, and maybe more of our preseason. Well, if you count graduations, I'll bet more than half of our pitchers on our preseason top one hundred either graduated or got hurt or both um, this year. But but I, I do – so while the the bottom of the list, it felt like a little tougher to fill out. You know, And, and I'm with you, Jonathan. I would have thought we would have had more draft guys, and there's a bunch of guys who just missed. I, I do agree with Jason. Like looking at the top of the list, I mean, Jackson Holiday is one of the most exciting young hitters we've seen in baseball in a long time, and he's 19 in double-A. Jackson Churio, especially when they got away from the pre-tack ball, is destroying pitching again. He's 19 in double-A. Then we go Skeens, Cruz, Salas, you know, two guys right out of the draft. Ethan Salas, we've never had a 17-year-old that high. And then just a bunch of precocious guys. I mean, Junior Camarero, James Wood, Evan Carter, Jackson Merrill, Jordan Lawler. All those guys are 20 in double-A except for Lawler, who's an old man of, of 21. <laughs> you know, and then, you, I mean, I'm not going to go through the whole list, but Marcelo Meyer, 11, is 20 in double-A. Pete Armstrong's 21 in triple-A. Then you got draftees in three of the next four spots in Langford, Clark, and Jenkins. So you have, you know, and Colson Montgomery, who I think is going to continue climbing this list too at 17. I mean, the only guy who's o- older than 21 in our top 17 prospects is Colton Kowser at 23, who was close to graduating and just got sent back down to AAA. But like, uh, I mean, I guess we could research this. There's no easy way to quantify it. But like, I don't know that we've ever had such a precocious group atop the top 100. Yeah. And Jonathan, you uh, did a little digging in regard to the draftees uh, placement on this list. And was it five of the five of the top 16, which is unprecedented. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's like you said, Jim, the, the, the turnover on the list uh, because of the entrance of the draftees and a lot of guys graduating it just it feels like a just a brand new fresh list i think that's right in a lot of ways and yeah that the that top five and you know the top 16 uh we've never come close to that you know even sometimes in retrospect you look you know, so jackson holiday debuted at number 14 uh, on the top 100 a year ago Clearly, we were light, <laughs> and you know, but Drew Jones was actually ahead of him because we had him rated higher in the draft, and he's struggled with injuries, and so he's dropped down. So sometimes it, it, it evens out, but you know, we've never had anything quite like this in terms of the, the volume, and then also Skeens and Cruz 
uh, at three and four. We've never had a duo rank that highly uh, right out of the gate, uh, which speaks to just how special we think Skeens and Cruz are, uh, as well as the, the the other three in the top five, Wyatt Langford and, and Max Clark and Walker Jenkins. Yeah, it's not looking at this. It's not out of the question. In fact, I mean, it's I think it's fairly probable that Holiday, Churia, Skeens, and Cruz could all graduate off this list next year by getting yep. to the big leagues. Ethan Salas could be the number one prospect, you know, toward the end of the twenty twenty four season as an eighteen year old, which I don't think we've ever had that before, have we? I think Wander Franco might have been eighteen when he was number one. Yeah, okay, that might be, but that'd be it. Yep. Uh, so in terms of holiday, you know, something that we do each time we put out a new uh, top 100 prospects list and there's a new number one um, and holiday had moved into that spot uh, over the course of the season. But uh, this is his first time being ranked number one uh, when a list, either a preseason or midseason list comes out. We rank uh, that player among all of the previous number one overall prospects and I had mentioned earlier that he seems like, you know, a, a really bona fide number one overall prospect. And uh, you guys ranked him quite high on that list of, what is it, 20, 21 different players who have held the number one spot? Yeah, and, and keep in mind that we try to look at the sort of hype around the player. The, the trickiest thing, I think, with that list is not you know, using hindsight at all in terms of like guys who then go up to the big leagues and doing, you know, incredible things or, you know, aren't as good as, as the hype seems. So try to put that, you know, into some kind of context. And we, we ended up, we were pretty much in agreement. We put him in at number five. Um, And it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's an aggressive uh, position, I think, but given that he was the number one overall pick, you know, even if it was a tiny bit of a, a surprise, but not a huge surprise, it wasn't like it was a reach or anything, right? Uh, given the bloodlines and given the fact that he's been so good so quickly, I mean, I'm glad we got him to the top spot now because he's not going to be a big leaguer for that much longer based minor on what leaguer. he's done. In, in, uh, he's not going to be a minor leaguer, right, for that much longer, sorry. I'm already promoting him to the big leagues. Uh, you know, so I'm glad we I'm glad we got him in the, in the number one spot when we did, and he'll hold that, and, you know, and, I think until he graduates looking at the list in terms of positional breakdown, um, Jonathan, you mentioned the sort of dearth of pitching down to 27% of the list, which is an all time low, um, 21 right-handers on the list, just six left-handers that number of, lefties is kind of in line with what we've seen over the past few rankings now and that number has just dipped uh, continued to dip year after year uh, from 12 in mid-season 2020 three years ago uh, down to nine eight five four a couple more up to six but overall 27 percent of the top 100 being pitchers what what are what are the factors, uh, the main factors contributing to that decline? Well, I think it, you know, like I said before, I think we've had a number of injuries, you know, as pitchers continue to throw harder and spin the ball faster, they seem to get hurt more often too. So we've had guys drop off the list in that regard. Um, 
And, you know, guys don't stay on the list very long either. Like, like again, I didn't go back and look, but I think a number of our top, top pitchers from the preseason graduated. And even, I mean, even you look at this list, our third-ranked pitcher is still Andrew Painter, who came into the year as the number one-ranked pitching prospect. He's not going to pitch this year because of Tommy John surgery. And he might not pitch next year because of how, you know, they tried to rehab it and waited long enough. Um, you know, like, so he's our third pitcher. Our fifth pitcher, Ricky Tiedemann, on the list, missed some time this year um, because of that. Like, it's 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 just a very dicey position. Um, you know, I I don't – it's not we, – we say this, I think, every time. I don't think we're making a conscious effort to hedge our bets and say, oh, hitters are safer than pitchers. We're going with hitters. It's just it's hard to find healthy pitchers to put on the list, I think. No, I think that's right. And, and keep in mind, we're also – you know, we, we run this by – a lot of people, and we get a ton of feedback. Uh, and this is—I'm not even looking at our, our, you know, our collated feedback. Like, I don't think people are pushing arms down and pushing bat- hitters up for that reason. Like, well, the hitters are safer. Sort of like, you know, when we're doing our mock drafts, and we tend to, you know, push hitters up because that's what often happens in the first round. Like, that, I, I agree with you. I think just right now. Uh, the bats are ahead of the arms and you know, that's the way we lined it up and that's the, the feedback we got, you know, kind of helped cement that in place. All right. Uh, quickly, the top 10, uh, I think, did, did you, did you go through the whole, I did, 10? I did. Yeah. You, you, you could do it again. Go ahead. That's go a, all right. Jackson holiday, Jackson Cheerio, Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, Ethan Salas, junior Caminero, James Wood, Evan Carter, Jackson Merrill, and Jordan Lawler are the top 10. Uh, well, let's get down to 16 to get all the draftees in. Uh, Marcelo Meyer drops to 11. Pete Crow Armstrong to 12, uh, jumps to 12. Wyatt Langford, 2023 draftee, is number 13. Colton Kowser, 14. Max Clark and Walker Jenkins, uh, whose names seem to be inseparable, are at numbers 15 and 16. Um, let's talk about some of the top tools on the list. Another thing we do when we put out a new top 100 list often is to look at the top tools on the list and uh, starting right at the top of the list, and not surprisingly, Jackson Holiday uh, among those that, Jim, you uh, have featured in your breakdown of the top tools. Yeah, that was that was pretty easy. The best hitter, I mean, as, as much acclaim as Dylan Cruz has gotten as an amateur and South Fralick's gotten off to a good start in the big leagues, that was a pretty easy one to go Jackson Holiday with best hitter. I mean, he's a career, I think he's a career 335 hitter who's gotten to double A at age 19 with more walks and strikeouts. And I didn't go back and look, but I think almost every pitcher he's faced in pro ball has been older than he is. Um, th- th- that was a pretty easy, th- th- that I thought that was, that was one of the easier ones. Hey, you know Jim, I, before you move on to a different tool, I don't know if you're going to go on, on holiday here, but I, I was curious several years ago, we gave, uh, we gave Vlad Jr. the first ever 80 hit grade that we'd we'd ever given out. H- how close is is Holiday? I think you could go 80 on on Jackson Holiday if you wanted. I mean, Jonathan, you do the Orioles. How, what do you? Yeah, think? well, I bumped him up. I think well, he was 60. He may have been 65 preseason, so I edged him up. Um, yeah, he's at 70 now. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just was trying to remember if he was a 60-hitter or 65-hitter preseason. I, I don't remember exactly. But uh, I, I, maybe I tend to be a little more conservative. But I, if someone said, oh, he's an 80-hitter, I, I don't think I would 
strenuously argue against that. Um, you know, uh, and I, I can't point to a, a reason why he's a 70 and Vlad Jr. was an 80 other than, you know, Vlad, you know, maybe struck out a little bit less. I'm not, you know, even looking at the numbers to see if that's true. I'm, I'm Had he maybe uh, hit a little more at higher levels at the time that, that we gave him an 80? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think we'll have to revisit this. If, if, we, if he finishes off this year and, and, you know, goes into next year having hit in double A at age 19, uh, well, I'll have to re- we'll have to revisit bumping that up to an eight. With both Franco and uh, and Guerrero, they also had the benefit of breaking into baseball at, at age 17. So by the time they were 19 years old, they played three years of professional baseball, whereas in Holiday's case, it's two, and he didn't even really play a lot last year. You know, Franco and Guerrero both played a full season, a short season, as it as it were, in the Appy League. So I think we had those guys had played off the top of my head probably about 250 games to that point, and Holiday's played a lot less, so maybe it was easier to pull the trigger. But I think Johnson's right. If he continues to hit like this, like he has all season, then I think he probably is an 80 in the in the 80 in the off season. Yeah, hitting 380 over his first 19 games at double A at age yep. 19. Not bad. Uh, sorry, and Jim, I, uh, where were you going before? When yeah, yeah, I, I was so say, rudely so, interrupted you. Oh, no, that's fine. I, I think I lead the podcast in interruptions. So, like I, I, <laughs> we have I, stats on that. I'm an 80 interrupter. We should. I, um, in any case, holiday, I thought was a clear choice, but like the, the, the one that was interesting to me among the, the Jim, before you go on, let me break. I'm just kidding. I just felt I needed to interrupt. Continue. Before the with the offensive players, You're padding was, your stats. <laughs> I would not have. I would not have come up with who our best power hitter was. Off yeah, I was surprised by that. I was surprised because um, we only had three guys with 65 power, and I do think we tend to grade a little conservatively, so we're not throwing 70s and 80s all over the place. We had three guys with 65 power, and it was Owen Casey and Marco Luciano of the Giants, and Wyatt Lankford. And I think Owen Casey's got the best power of those three guys. I mean, I think Lankford could eclipse him, but Lankford ha- hasn't played yet, or he's just getting going, whereas Owen Casey's destroying double-A at age 20. And much like like he, his strikeout rate earlier in the year really concerned me. It was up around 38% for the first four or six weeks of the season. And as they've gone away from the pre-tack ball, much like Jackson Churio, he's gone off. And I didn't realize until I actually was writing the story yesterday Owen Casey has a shot to win the Southern League Triple Crown. Like he's in the top three, I think, in all three categories. He's, you know, from a data standpoint, I think he's hit some balls 117 miles an hour, like which would rank him among the major league leaders. And he's doing this as a 20 year old in double A. Um, and, and yeah, I, I thought so. Anyway, that one, I would not have come up with that if you had said, okay, off the top of your head before you start doing the research, who, who's got the best power? I would not necessarily have come up with Owen Casey's name for that. Um, and, and the interesting thing was, you know, we went, we went 10 categories deep in, in this, you know, hit, you know, the, the basic five tools for hitters and then the four pitches and control for pitchers and three of the 10 categories were won by Cubs prospects who they've acquired in trade in the last three years, which I thought was interesting with, with, with between Casey, Pete Crow Armstrong's been our best defender on this list for a little while. And then Ben Brown has the best curveball. And there aren't that many guys who throw curveballs on our uh, on our top 100 prospect list or, or plus curveballs. But I thought it was interesting 
the Cubs trades, they, they, they snagged three guys who stand out as having the best tool. A little, uh, perhaps a little foreshadowing of our, uh, conversation to come on, uh, farm system rankings. Um, what, what other, what other tools, uh, stood out to you, uh, Jim, as you were putting together the list? Um, this wasn't as much of a surprise because coming into the year, we had best fastball and best slider with Daniel Espino, who's had shoulder surgery and hasn't pitched all year. So I knew it wasn't going to be him. And we spent the whole spring, and I had LSU, so I think I probably wrote about him a little bit more than Jonathan. But draft-wise, Paul Skeens. So Paul Skeens came in, and he grabbed best fastball, and he grabbed best slider. Um, you know, that wasn't a surprise, but it was I, I kind of knew that one was coming. You know, we had some holdovers. Mason Wynn. Repeated his best arm. Pete Crow Armstrong, like I said, repeated his best as best um, defender. Um, you know, had some new blood. I mean, I guess I might as well just say who all these are <laughs> at this point. You know, best hitter we talked about was Holiday. Best power was Casey. Fastest runner in, in the spring, it was Corbin Carroll, who's graduated. It's now Justin Crawford, Carl's son, who's having a very nice year in the minor leagues, including 40 steals and 47 attempts. You know, best arm, like I said, Mason Wynn repeated the Cardinals shortstop. Crow Armstrong repeated his best defender. Paul Skeens with the Pirates, number one pick, had fastball and slider. Ben Brown was the best curveball. Best changeup was Dilson, was Dylan Lesko. It had been Grayson Rodriguez. It graduated. And Lesko's back from Tommy John surgery, and the changeup looks as good as ever. And then best control. Man, best control was tough. We were we were painted into a corner a little bit. Pun intended. I had no pun intended. That was unintentional okay. pun. There you go. But Andrew Painter has 65 control. He's the only player in the top 100 with 65 control. And, you know, his, his stuff and his control doesn't change. He's just not pitching right now. Um, if it wasn't Andrew Painter, it, we might have had another draft guy on there to, to join Skins. It might have been Rhett Louder with the Reds. All right. Uh, the top 100 list, MLB.com slash prospects. Find it there mlb.com slash pipeline. You can find Jim's story breaking down the top tools and all kinds of uh, ancillary material pertaining to the top 100 prospects list and team top 30 prospect lists. We are going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to listen to Jonathan's interview with the number 18 overall prospect, twins number two prospect, Brooks Lee. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jonathan Mayo coming to you from CHS Field. That's the home of the St. Paul Saints. And I'm excited to welcome back to the podcast. Uh, But this time in person, it's much better than Zoom or however we recorded that. Uh, One of the Twins' best prospects, Brooks Lee. Brooks, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So... 
it's exciting you're here in AAA, but you know, it was a you know a little over a year ago that we talked for the first time um, for that draft uh, feature, and then you know we used the interview on the podcast and everything. Uh, a lot's happened in, in a year for you. You know, have you like thought about the fact that like it was especially maybe when this year's draft came by that you're like, wait, that was me just a year ago, and here I am, upper levels of the minors and everything. Yeah, it's a pretty cool uh, process I've been through. Um, luckily, the Twins have a lot of faith in me, and um, I've put forward a, a pretty good track record so far. And um, yeah, it's sometimes it's hard to put things in perspective, but looking back today, it's uh, a pretty cool thing to do. Yeah, you've gone from college student to almost big leaguer, and some kind of a blink of an eye. Do you have to set a, you know? pinch yourself or pause every once in a while to 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 realize how quick this has come yeah I mean uh didn't expect it I knew that I'd probably be a quick riser um that's what a lot of people said but um once it actually happens you just kind of you're along for the ride and um you know I come out here and just get ready to play and whatever happens happens and I mean I'm so blessed to be on this team with a lot of good other players and um, prospects and big leaguers and now I just get to join them and uh, we're just trying to win every night What's been the toughest thing in terms of making the transition just to pro ball in, in general? And what's maybe been, I don't want to say easier because that makes it sound like you're, oh, this is easy. But like what's, what's been a little bit easier for you or smoother for you transition-wise? Uh, one of the hard things is just how to get ready to play every day. Um, you know, I didn't play, I only played two seasons of college ball. Um, and so this is the most I've ever played in my life. And uh, it's tough, but you have to learn that, you know, maybe 500 swings in the cage is a little too much or so-and-so. It's like you have to take uh, quality reps, um, can't do too much before a game, um, and then you have to figure out a way to recover. And I'd say one of the easier things um, would just be probably uh, everything that goes um, off the field. So um, what the Twins have for me with strength training, um, speed and development, and then nutrition, it's, you know, everything's laid out for you, and it's um, a really good process, and uh, that's why I'm so thankful to be part of this organization. I know a lot of it, and having talked to other guys who've gone, you know, walked the same path as you, that, that first offseason, having that offseason plan, knowing, like, all right, tr- you know, trusting the organization, like, this is going to get me ready for that slog of uh, 140 games when you've played 50 or 60 yeah. or whatever, you know, Especially now in the you know, supposed dog days of summer, do you look back and you're like, and I know you're you've always been a hard worker, but like, boy, that off season plan really got me ready for this. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've never done so many lower half lifts in my life, um, but I knew that uh, coming to August and September that it was really going to pay off, um, and I've definitely put on a lot of muscle. Um, thankful for the twins for that. And uh, but yeah, it's it's something that you just have to realize every day in the off season that. You're just trying to get ready for um, not only the season, but the back end of the season. Um, you know, you always have to keep your legs under you, and that's kind of how you progress. You take good defense and you hit wells. Um, you got your body ready. It's it's a year-round thing, right? And you knew that from the college game. You don't just show up in the spring and start playing. Yeah, definitely not. It's, um, you know, this is – it's work, quote-unquote. But, um, yeah, it's, it's my lifestyle, and um, – and I signed up for it, and I'm thankful that it's happening like this. Having talked to you a year ago, clearly you you love the work. You put a lot of it on yourself, even when you were younger. Was there anything that you had to let go of, like 
workout wise even though you're like well this is how i always used to do it and look where it got me but the twins are like well we want you to focus on this in instead was there a little bit of it's not even an ego thing but it's just like but this is how i've always done it yeah i'd say on the lifting aspect um doing more legs than i ever wanted to uh you know everyone wants to have a big upper body so that was most important to me uh and then once i got drafted um things changed and I had to incorporate the whole body into um, basically every lift that I did. And I mean, it's really paid off. And, you know, I was pretty close minded <laughs> on that aspect. Um, it's like the opposite of me in baseball. But um, now looking back, it's like, uh, you know, I'm really thankful. All right. Enough strength and conditioning. Let's talk about, you know, you know, between the lines. Uh, you said that, you know, you had had seen red, whatever. and knew probably that you would be able to move relatively quickly. Were you surprised did you have the goal of starting your first full season in double a was that something like that will put me on that trajectory um i kind of had a feeling because once i got called up um the past year i mean for the playoffs i thought you know i'll probably start out here next year i only played a handful of games um and then i've i had a feeling that i would because uh, of our manager there ramon borrego um who's a really good infield coach and i think that um the time that we spent together was um, really big because he helped me play defense and he's a smaller guy and I'm a bigger dude and um, I need to play shortstop like a smaller person so uh, which is tough but um, yeah the time that I got there was uh, meaningful and I had a feeling that it was going to happen so then you're already at the upper levels at what point do you start or have to remind yourself not to start thinking about the next step or even the next two steps yeah, it's impossible not to. Um, <laughs> I always say for whoever says that they don't think about it is lying. Because um, well, that's the goal, right? Yeah, the goal yeah. is to move. Yeah, the goal is to move up, um, obviously, as quick as possible. Uh, but that's where um, just maturing as a ball player and just as a person. With I've always been impatient, and um, you know I always want things as quick as possible. But um, you have to learn how to take every day uh, and do – a good day's work and not worry about the future and um that's probably the hardest thing for um, a guy like me and but uh you know it's well worth it and it's only going to help me in the rest of my life what was it like to to get the call that you were coming here because obviously you're hoping you know getting an in-season promotion is always is always a good thing and and now you're you know, we're in St. Paul, the big league team. It's about as close as you can be to a big league team playing in AAA like you're you're really a stone's throw away yeah, it's, uh, I mean, super special, and um, I had two other players with me. They also got called up, position players, uh, Deshaun Kersey Jr. and, and uh, Severino. So it's really um, special. We all get to go up together um, and play every single day, and um, it's really like a just a, wow, like, look, guys, we're, we're almost there, um, and that's the goal, and we all want to be in the big leagues uh, as soon as possible and help that team for right now we uh, get to enjoy each other's company and i mean do you help each other not try to do too much knowing that the i mean it's a local phone call away you know it really is you know and listen in the end it doesn't matter if you were if the team was still in rochester like it used to be but you're you're as close as you can be without being there yeah it's um it doesn't really matter i think that this place gets me ready for the big leagues um you know i've never lived in a city so i'm living in the city right now uh, and, you know, it gets you ready for other parts of your life. So um, being here and if, I mean, we get a ton of fans, so it's like 
new atmosphere, uh, bigger than it was in Wichita. So it's like, uh, it's kind of just that next step, that overhaul. And, um, you know, it's not quite the big leagues, obviously, but um, it's close. It is close. And listen, I know you're, you're confident and probably feel that you would compete if asked. What are some of the things that you think that you need to to work on, especially since, as you said, AAA, there are a lot of guys who have time in the big leagues. Like, are there things that you've gleaned from them? So you're like, all right, I need to work on these things so that when that call comes, not only can I contribute, but I can I can stay in Excel. Yeah, I think um, on the defensive side, just learning how to play different positions um, as a premium. Um, so like taking early work at third, uh, at second, wherever the team needs me, because um, you want to be as versatile as possible. Um, and then on the offensive side, uh, just learning to shrink my zone. You know, I've always been good with the bats of all skills, um, and sometimes it's a blessing, sometimes it's a curse because you're swinging at pitches that you shouldn't, but you feel like you can get a hit. And that's what like uh, spring training was more of a struggle for me, just because uh, you see pitches that break more than than you thought they would or um, you know something is just outside when your zone in your mind um, has it completely in the zone so it's just a a learning process and I think everyone has to go through it uh, we all have different tools and my tool is just to put the ball in play every single time I could so learning how to be um, patiently aggressive is probably the biggest thing yeah and you had success with it It it's sort of interesting like thinking about like this year's draft class and Jacob Wilson who somehow managed to strike out less than you did. Um, I think he struck out five times this, yeah. this year. Uh, like, I wonder if, if he's going to have a similar kind of thing where you don't want to take that away from you because clearly it's a, an incredible skill that you have. But big league pitchers will know how to kind of exploit that, won't they? Yeah, I think like um, trying to find – for me, it's like trying to find a player who is most likely uh, – or most like me in the big leagues and see how they operate. So um, – like Juan Soto, as a left-handed hitter, has basketball skills. Um, he touches the ball, and he's extremely patient. Um, and so that's a guy where, like, you'd want to watch on TV and see, okay, why did he not swing at this pitch? Um, but then he goes on this pitch. Um, and, you know, like, for, for me, it was always, like, mind-boggling when someone would take a fastball. Um, that was a called strike. And now you learn that, um, you know, usually – Guys are looking for something else in a different zone, um, and that's how they have a lot of success. And they're playing towards their strengths, um, and that's where I'm trying to figure out um, what exactly my strengths are in certain pitches and all that. And it's interesting because I think most people think, oh, you watch video of a guy because he's like you, and you're, you're, you're examining his swing, which you're doing, but in this case, you're actually examining when he doesn't swing. Yeah, the swing decisions for me are most important. Um, you know, you can have a great swing, and but it can only take you so far. So that's where learning um, to see pitches in certain areas, which will eventually help you not swing at these pitches uh, and then do more damage on others is probably the one thing I think that um, will help me the most. You mentioned defensive versatility. I know a lot of guys who are shortstops want to be able to prove that they can stay shortstop. They have... They haven't moved you off of shortstop, but as you said, you're, you're moving around. When I got here, you were getting balls wailed at you at, at third. And I know you've moved around a little bit you know, when you're playing you know, uh, in other competition, things like that. Do you embrace that? Clearly you see that as you know, a ticket, maybe another ticket to, to get up. 
is there the, the ego part that's hard to let go of? Like, all right, well, maybe I'm not actually going to be a shortstop in the big leagues, depending on the personnel. Uh, not anymore. I see it more as like a challenge. Um, and, you know, you play shortstop. I play shortstop my whole life. Um, so, like, playing other positions uh, in a game, especially at one of the highest levels, is more of like a, uh, a piece of the puzzle. It's, it should be fun, and it is. And just learning something new. Um, like I have fun turning double plays from second base. I have fun um, having long throws from my knee on the backhand uh, at third. So all these things I just want to learn. Um, and I've never – I used to be like that where it was like, oh, I'm not shortstop and I know I am and all that. And, uh, I had it pretty hunkered down in my mind. But um, wherever the team needs me and as long as I'm in the lineup, um, I could care less. And, you know, I have confidence in myself that I could play anywhere on the field. But um, – if the team feels like they need me at somewhere else, then so be it. I'm sure it'll help us win more games. And I trust them for that. You've had the benefit of having Royce Lewis here on rehab, and you know it's un- sort of unfortunate the injuries he's had to go through. But that's another guy who he could play shortstop in the big leagues, but he's had to move around quite a bit. Does that add to that confidence of like, oh, okay, I see how that that can work? Yeah, definitely. And <laughs> especially because I grew up watching Royce and area codes and stuff like that. So it's, um, I know that he could play shortstop um, and play any premium position. So yeah, just learning um, along with him and he's moving around and so will I. And, uh, but yeah, it's, he's kind of the guy that I would look up to uh, right now because he's learning how to play other positions, even though in high school he was a, an unreal shortstop. No center field for you though, probably. Probably not. I don't think I have the foot speed for that. <laughs> um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you know, about your dad. One, how's how's he doing? And two, like, how often? I was just so amazed by your relationship that you know the back and forth. Um, how much is he still the, your sounding board when it comes to how things are going on the field? Yeah, he always is. He's doing well. Um, he just got done coaching USA, and uh, you know, we talk a lot. Um, almost every day and yeah it's a it's a learning process for both of us because uh, you know he's never been this close to professional baseball with a player Um, and obviously this is my first go around so it's been great Um, and I love being a college player in professional baseball um, with the way I play and you know he raised me to be more of an old school player Um, not strike out obviously and all these other things so no, it's been good. Um, our relationship really blossomed once I got to college um, and we were on the field together. And because uh, I always thought that he was more of a coach um, from just being in the center of all these things from my baseball career. Uh, but now it's like, you know, I get to tell him what happens, what pitchers, um, how their metrics change or swing, all these other things that he doesn't know about. Uh, and he's been educating me my whole life and now I finally feel like uh, I have a little bit of information to educate um, him and you know, that's what makes the relationship so well last question I wonder what he thinks about it this is audio only but what does he think about this uh, excuse for a mustache that you have going on right here <laughs> yeah I mean I just FaceTimed my mom she was like you need to get rid of that and my girlfriend's always like, oh, I like it. And then the next day, no, I don't like That's it That's important. That's yeah, important. Yeah, I actually just, uh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't get to shave. I didn't have any shaving cream when I got called up. So I was out for a little bit. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe it's got a couple hits in it. I uh, got a mustache. 
And my dad, I had one in college my junior year, and he just laughed at me. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to roll with it um, for a little bit. I mean, we got seven more weeks of the season, regular season. So, you know, if I'm doing fine, then maybe I'll keep it. And then, obviously, once I go home, no one wants to see me look like that. So that's fine. <laughs> no one knows me. No one knows me in the city here. So that's, that's fine. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for rolling with that question, Brooks. As always, it's been great talking to you. Appreciate it. Thank you. We'll be back with much more on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Thanks very much to Brooks Lee for joining us. A fantastic baseball player and a fantastic interview. Time to talk farm system rankings. We have been ranking farm systems in kind of different forms dating back to 2015. We used to do uh, rank the top 10 farm systems through 2019, expanded that uh, in mid-season 2019 to 15, and then to all 30 starting in 2020. So we have uh, kind of the complete work here is 18 rankings going back to preseason 2015. Uh, we put them out, one in the preseason, one at mid-season. Uh, this one's fun. You add in all of the recent draftees, as we talked about earlier in the episode, a ton of turnover with a lot of players graduating. And that was just pertaining to the top 100 prospects list, but expand that to all the team top 30s as well. It's been a lot of turnover. Uh, not a whole lot of turnover in terms of the very top of the uh, farm system rankings as the Orioles keep their number one spot. Um, and before we even move on to uh, the rest of the rankings, that number one spot struck me as interesting, not that it was a surprise in any way, but when you look back over the course of uh, these 18 rankings that we've done dating back to 2015, uh, no team repeated as number one for the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven rankings. It was Cubs, Red Sox, Dodgers, Brewers, Braves, White Sox, Padres. Padres then repeated four times. Uh, they, they were number one, four consecutive rankings. Then the Rays were number one, three consecutive rankings. And now the Orioles have been number one five straight times. Uh, so very interesting to me that seven rankings, no repeats. And then from that point on, uh, it's been one of three teams that have repeated four, three, and now five times. Well, I think, you know, with the Orioles, it's it's interesting. We talked a little bit about this before we started recording, you know, that they've been building and building, you know, and last year they were kind of ahead uh, of schedule in terms of being competitive at the big league level. And, and this year they've been obviously playing extremely well and they didn't trade anybody away. And I think some of those, some of those other teams, you know, even some of the repeats, you know, eventually got to the point where 
they started to deal some higher level prospects uh, away to help the big league team. You know, the Orioles did get Jack Flaherty, but they didn't. They didn't have to to use any uh, any of their top 100 guys, any of like the, the sort of elite level guys that they have, and they have many of them. And guys keep taking steps forward, and that's a big reason why they're still in the top spot. So you know, I think eventually we're going to see them sort of you know flitter down a little bit. You know, even if they don't trade that many guys, uh, graduation rates uh, will will impact them. You know, they've had some of those guys graduate, uh, but other guys have stepped forward so far, but you know, that's, that, that's hard to sustain. I don't care how good you are at scouting and evaluating and developing. Yeah. And I would say like, I'm glad you mentioned the word developing there, Jonathan, because it's not just acquiring players. It's helping them reach their ceilings, Mm -hmm. helping them get better. And, you know, we've talked about this on podcasts before. I think the most amazing thing to me about the Orioles ranking number one, five times in a row (laughs) is they graduated the number one prospect in baseball in Adley Rutschman. Then they graduated the next number one prospect in baseball, Gunnar Henderson, and replaced him with another number one prospect in baseball in Holiday. And they also have recently graduated Grayson Rodriguez, who was the number one pitching prospect in baseball for a while. And they, it, it's not just, yes, it helps when you pick in the top five four years in a row, but they're also helping other players get better. And I, I think that's a tribute to them. One, one thing I want to point out, and I, I feel like a broken record, but I say this every time, and I'm not tooting our own horn, but like why, why these rankings matter, why organization, minor league talent matters. If you go back and look at all the teams that have ranked number one since we started doing this in 2015, Cubs won a World Series within a year. The Red Sox won a World Series within three years. The Dodgers went to three World Series in four years and won one of them. The Brewers haven't won a World Series, but they went to playoffs four years in a row, which was as much as they'd been, I think, in the previous 48 years of their existence. The Braves won a World Series within three years. The White Sox, okay, the White Sox are a mess right now, but the White Sox went to playoffs in back-to-back years, which they had never done ever, starting with the fr- when the franchise began in 1903. And the Padres have been in the playoffs. You know, the Padres are disappointed this year, but they went to playoffs two out of three years, only a third time in franchise history that they did that. You know, the Rays haven't won a World Series, but they've been to four straight playoffs, which they, again, that matches all the total playoff appearances from the first 21 years of franchise history, and they're going to make their fifth straight this year. So, you know, and we're seeing the Orioles are going to make the playoffs this year and, and look really set for the future. So, you know, we can look at the number two teams have had a lot of success as well. But, you know, if, if you're acknowledged as having the best farm system in baseball, that usually does pay off. I mean, there are good back, things to come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, going back to my days at Baseball America, where we started ranking farm systems in the 80s. There, there was a Pirates team like maybe around in the in the mid to late 90s. It was like it was a similar type deal. There was one Pirates team that was the exception to the rule. But generally, the teams with the top with the very best farm systems wound up having tremendous success at the big league level. It's almost impossible not to. Yeah, the Orioles, as we speak, first place in the AL East, best record in the American League, second best record in baseball. So the the payoff is here. Um, all right, let's uh, move down uh, the rankings a bit. Uh, the top five looks like this. Orioles, Pirates, Brewers, Cubs, and Reds. Uh, four NL Central teams in a row right there. Yeah, that is uh, that is interesting. Um, and we saw when we did the breakdown of the number of uh, top 100 prospects uh, by division uh, that, not surprisingly, the NL Central was 
way up there. Um, next five in the top ten: Dodgers, Rays, the old uh, the old stalwarts who are always there. It seems, uh, and then the Nationals, Padres, and Rangers. Uh, guys, to me, uh, a couple of the more interesting teams there are the Brewers and the Nationals, who have made huge jumps over the past three years. If you look back at the 2020 preseason farm system rankings, the Brewers were dead last at 30, the Nats were 29. Uh, midseason, the Brewers leapfrogged the Nats to 29, and the Nats <laughs> fell to 30. 2021 preseason, Nats were 30, Brewers were 28. Uh, and then they they start, sort of started a slow but steady uh, rise as the Brewers went to 25, 25, then 19 uh, this time last year. But still, even going into this season, they were 15 in the preseason rankings. So middle of the pack. And now all of a sudden, they're number three. And you look at them even compared to the Nationals, who I'm drawing this parallel here. Nationals did the same sort of thing, jumped up to 20 in midseason 2021, then dropped back down to 23. We're at 15 this time last year, 10 in the preseason rankings. They're at eight, still a ways away from the Brewers. But, you know, with the Nationals, that was like complete rebuild mode. Brewers haven't done that, and they made this huge jump to number three. How'd that happen? Yeah, and the Brewers also are leading the NL Central, too. Um, like, you know, it's not like they're a rebuilding team. I mean, they're winning again this year. Yeah, I, I think the Brewers deserve a lot of credit because, you know, they aren't a team that had a lot of, you know, top five picks you know, like we mentioned, the Orioles, Nationals were kind of the same thing. I can't remember an instance where I've seen a team have players in their system just get this much better. I mean, you, you look at the top 100 list. Jackson Churio, okay, he, he broke out last year and he's continued to be amazing this year. He's number two prospect in baseball. Sal Frelick, you know, he's going to graduate off this list in a couple weeks. But, you know, he's one of the best, you know, pure hitters in the minor leagues. And, he, and he, he's proven that, you know, in, in the big leagues, he's been very good for the Brewers. Uh, when he's been up there, but they have three guys in Jefferson Cuero, Jacob Mizorowski, and Tyler Black, who now rank 34th, 38th, and 55th on the list. So these aren't guys who just snuck on the list who have all made dramatic leaps this year. I mean, we, we, we've talked about Jefferson Cuero on a lot of podcasts, Jonathan, we all loved him in the fall league and he's continued to hit and he's now number 34 on the top 100. Jacob Mizorowski. I'm obviously been a big fan for a while. He was a guest of the podcast earlier this year, went from kind of a Juco curiosity who blew up at the combine to he might have the best stuff in the minor leagues. And then Tyler Black, who has kind of flown on the radar and continues to fly on the radar, even though he's 55th on our list, was always a guy who could hit and he's stealing a bunch of bases this year. He's playing third base. And even the guys who are in the top 100, like a Robert Gasser or a Carlos Rodriguez, those guys have made big leaps forward this year. They had a really deep draft. I think I think Sam Dykstra, who does our Brewers list, put six Brewers from the draft on their top 30, including Brock Wilkin at, at number eight, their first-round pick. But I think it's a case where they've had a lot of sneaky good non-first-round picks, non-huge bonus international signings, and they have helped a lot of guys to get better and reach their ceilings. I, I think they're doing a tremendous job. And Jim, that's that's not even to mention the fact that they've graduated a lot of guys from their from their list. If you look back at their preseason list from last year, the top of it, Sal Freilich, Joey Weimer, Aaron Ashby, Garrett Mitchell, 
Bryce Terang, all in the big leagues. Yeah, so I, mean, I didn't even caught that. But yeah, I mean, they're just, you know, and they're not a team that spends money. But I mean, that's why I think they've been able to sustain the success they've had, where I think if they looks like they will make the playoffs, but they make the playoffs, what is that, five times in six years now for, for the Brewers? Yeah, we're going to have to start talking about them more you know, when we talk about these teams that are successful at the big league level and continue to maintain uh, a farm system. We're going to keep an eye on them as a, as a, as a team that seems to be right now doing it the right way. Uh, you know, we'll see at a certain point in time if uh, they decide to supplement, you know, having the young guys help them at the big league level by using some of the depth they now have in their system to, to help them. But uh, it's, it's been a pretty impressive run for them. And I don't know that, the, you know, to echo what you said, Jim, that we've had a team make this big of a leap and it's largely just because like all their guys were good, especially as, you know, as we go through our re-ranks, uh, you know, you tend to kind of look at it like, Oh God, this guy didn't perform. This guy got hurt. This thing, you know, but the Brewers, they all, like all their guys have up arrows next to them. And that's a big yeah. reason why they are where they are. Yeah. They haven't been uh, drafting in the top, you know, they haven't been having top five picks. Mm-hmm. Garrett Mitchell, the twentieth overall pick uh, from a couple years ago. So, and even uh, Sal Frelick, number fifteen. So doing doing so without the virtue of picking up at the very top of the draft. Um, the other team that I was mentioning there, and and they haven't made quite the rise that the Brewers have. Um, and kind of a, a contrast if you look at the two teams' top thirty prospects list, but the Nationals have climbed all the way back up to eight. They're in you know complete rebuild mode. They traded Bon Soto, uh, got the haul for him, and the top of their list is very tasty. Is that fair to say? I, I think. Uh, but is I there? That... I mean, Dylan Cruz at one, James Wood at two. Brady House has been very good this year. He's at three, yeah. um, but a pretty big, pretty big gap from there. Would you say? And that's right. Yeah, it's very, very top heavy. Uh, I like Dalen Lyle quite a bit at number six right now. And it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up joining that top three at some point, maybe next year. But, you know, Kate Cavalli has been hurt. Elijah Green has really struggled. Uh, I do like Yohandi Morales. So I think the, I, I did the, the top will get a little bit more top heavy, but then the drop off will be there are just questions about Elijah Green, Robert Hassel. Uh, you know, has been inconsistent. So it, it, I don't know. Are they the most top heavy system? Jim, just in terms of you look at the top, you're like, Oh my goodness, that's really exciting. And, and which by the way, may, you know, really help them at the big league level. If you can get three elite players to the big leagues, that's going to make a huge difference. Even if the rest of your system, you know, there's a a big drop off. Yeah. You win with stars. I, I agree with that, John. Then I think too, just looking, I always look at the rankings, you know, as tiered. And I do think the seven teams ahead of the nationals are clearly ahead of them. Like, I think that, I think the tier ends, if you want to break them into two tiers and have, you know, Baltimore on tier by itself and then six, whatever. But I do think like Orioles, Pirates, Brewers, Cubs, Reds, Dodgers, Rays are all significantly deeper than the nationals. I think the nationals are kind of in that, you know, second quartile, Maybe the first time we've used quartile on the podcast, um, and it's a different tier. But yeah, I mean, it's it's hard not to love the Cruz Wood combo, which I think is the two highest ranked players any team has 
on the top 100, just ahead of the Padres and, and the Orioles. Um, and Brady House is a guy with an up arrow neck. You know, I think we're seeing the real Brady House now that he's healthy this year. Another team that's uh, made a jump up to number two, the Pirates, uh, having jumped from number eight in the preseason rankings. And, you know, you when you have the number one overall pick and it's a generational sort of talent, uh, that's certainly going to help. But uh, it's not just Paul Skeens at number one. Their top pick from last year, uh, fourth overall pick, Tamar Johnson, he's performed uh, this year. He's uh, shown a good amount of, of pop. Um, then the the remaining uh, guys in their top five, Indy Rodriguez, Jared Jones, Anthony Solomato, uh, Quinn Priester, number six, Nick Gonzalez, number seven, some guys we've seen in the big leagues, uh, Leover Paguero at number eight as well. Um, this is This seems like, in contrast to the Brewers, where they have not been picking up high, uh, Pirates kind of benefiting from uh, those those top five draft picks. Yeah, I w- without question. I mean, and, and it's funny. It's I was about to ask you if you were like had read my 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 blurb about the Pirates for our farm system ranking story because it's exact almost exactly what I said about skiing. So, you know, benefit from picking number one, sure, but you know, you get a guy like that. Uh, you know, we've talked enough about Paul Skeens and best draft pitching prospects and Steven Strasburg. Like that's going to give you a boost no matter what. Um, I think that combined with the step forward from some of those pitchers that you mentioned, you know, Jared Jones and, and Anthony Solomito were not top 100 guys when we started the year. And uh, both of them are extremely young and at upper levels, Jones in AAA and Solomito in AA. So they're even ahead of the curve. And it's a deep list. You know, I do the Pirates top 30 and there are guys not on the list who would be on almost any other top 30 um, you know, there's some interesting players that, uh, you know, both guys who are like just performing and then like really young high upside guys who don't crack the list because there isn't room. So uh, that, you know, the, it's the combination of those things that, uh, led to them jumping into that number two spot. They also have Jonathan, one of the deeper collections of pitching, you know, anybody has, I mean, obviously four guys on the top 100, you know, Skeens, Jones, Solomito and Priester stand out. And I know you know this because you do the list. You know, Bubba Chandler's intriguing. Thomas Harrington's mm-hmm. quietly having a very good year. Yep. Um, you know, Mike Burroughs, I think, has been hurt. Well, he's yeah, yeah. Tommy, he had Tommy John, John, but he was knocking on the door. But Hunter Barco's back. They got Jackson Wolf in a trade. Michael Kennedy in last year's draft. Xander Meath in this year's draft. Jun Sok Shim is a the guy they signed away from Korea as a teenager. He wanted to come over here. Braxton Ashcraft is a little bit of a older guy from 2018 who's making strides. I mean, they're one of the organizations where you can rattle off. I think I just rattled off what 10 pitchers there who are pretty performing. Right. Yeah. If if they're not hurt. Yeah. So, I mean, I I think their pitching depth really stands out in light of what we were saying earlier, you know, in the podcast about teams not having pitching, you know, and Oh, by the way, they have Termar Johnson, Andy Rodriguez and and some other position players too. So it's not, it's not one-sided. All right, so that's the Pirates at two. Uh, We talked about the Brewers at three. The Cubs have returned. They're at number four, returned to the top ten. This is the highest they've ranked 
since uh, the heyday back in 2015 that you mentioned, Jim, when they ranked number one in the preseason list, number four in the midseason list, and then disappeared from the top 10, uh, did did uh, get to number 10 at this time last year, uh, but they were number 12 to start the season and have bumped all the way up to number four. And uh, you touched on, I think, uh, you know, a sizable part of, of the, re- the uh, reason for that earlier in the podcast when you were talking about uh, the ownership of, of some of the best tools among the top 100 prospects. Yeah, I mean, they, 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 they've kind of been clicking on all cylinders. And the thing that's different from when they built the World Series team is they actually have some pitching prospects this time, whereas before it was perhaps the best collection of hitting prospects I'd ever seen. But they didn't develop any pitching and they couldn't sustain the, the success, at least not the World Series championship success at the big league level. But, yeah, I mean, you look at their their top five prospects right now. You know, I mentioned Pete Crow Armstrong, Owen Casey, Ben Brown, all in that top tools list were all acquired in trade. So was Kevin Alcantara was part of the Anthony Rizzo trade with the Yankees. They've drafted well. Kate Horton and Jackson Ferris were kind of tied together the way they moved money around the 2022 draft. Matt Shaw from this year's draft was very close to making our top 100 prospects list. They have some some picks in recent drafts. James Triantos and Jordan Wicks from 2021 where their first and second rounders have done really well. They've done well internationally with guys like Moises Ballesteros and Jefferson Rojas. They made a really intriguing signing. One of the guys with the nastiest stuff in their system is Michael Arias, who was signed as an infielder by the Blue Jays, released during the pandemic without ever having played in a pro game. And if, if you guys ever get a chance to watch him, the video is incredible. I mean, he's he's still new to pitching, but he throws from a low slot, and his his pitches just dance all over the place. Um, so they've, they've got a really deep system. They've got some some hitters they got with some mid-round picks who are interesting, like Hayden McGeary and B.J. Murray, who are already in double-A. And, and I think, you know, they haven't won a World Series yet, but I do think that this system, especially on the pitching side, you know, could lead to some sustained success for them going forward. Um, you know, they, 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 Hayden Wisniewski was another guy they got in a trade who's already up in the big leagues with them. But Kate Horton and Ben Brown are are on the verge of making the big leagues. And I think Jordan – and Jordan Wicks is too. He doesn't have the ceiling, but Jordan Wicks is in AAA. So, I mean, they've got three starting pitchers who are knocking on the door right there too. So, um, you know, I know it's weird living up here. Cubs fans, after going, I guess it was, what, 108 years without winning World Series, I think got a little jaded that they didn't win more than one. But I do legitimately think that that team is on the rise again. And, you know, I mean, they've got financial resources too. I mean, between the, the young talent they have coming – and their financial resources, they should be in a good spot for a while. The, the whole NL Central is going to be fun to watch. I mean, the interesting thing is the Cardinals have been so good for so long, and they're having a disastrous year. And we're talking about how you know could have three NL Central playoff teams this year with the Brewers, Cubs, and Reds. You've got four of the top five farm, farm systems reside in NL Central, and the Cardinals are going through a terrible year. And I think we have them ranked 22nd on our farm system rankings. The Cardinals could be in for a, a shock in, in the next few years if, if they don't figure out how to turn things around quickly. Yeah, the, the Cubs, Jim, you talk about their pitching four of their top 10 prospects, five of their top 12, seven of their top 16 pitchers, which, uh, as you mentioned, a stark contrast from when they were uh, ranked this high uh, back in 2015. Um, all right, and then... You talked about the NL Central. The Reds are number five on 
the list, uh, third straight ranking that they've been in the top five. Um, and then I mentioned the old standbys, the Dodgers and the Rays. They are six and seven. The uh, Rays, you guys know how many consecutive rankings the Rays have been in the top 10 now? All of them. <laughs> Nearly 14 in a row. So going, uh, yeah, we, we've done these rankings. Eight, there have been 18 rankings dating back to 2015 preseason, and the Rays have been in the top 10 14 consecutive seasons. After that, the Orioles, uh, the longest streaks are the Orioles at seven and the Pirates at six. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why when we talk about teams that sustain having strong farm systems and compete at the big league level, or it's kind of tiered. You know, we always we often talk about the Dodgers, uh, but you know, not everyone can spend like the Dodgers do at the big league level. Uh, you know, when talking about for you know for other mar- you know maybe the smaller markets or smaller revenues or teams that don't spend as much money, and that's taking nothing away from the Dodgers' ability to find and develop talent by the way they still managed to do that uh, and and the fact that they continue to make that a priority while having the financial wherewithal to you know to do what they need to at the big league level the, you know, they deserve credit for that but the raise to me continue to be the standard bearer for those those organizations on how you can keep winning or at least competing almost every year not drafting high uh, and having a strong farm system. And, uh, you know, I think I've said this many, many times before that, you know, if you're talking to the Rays in a trade and they're then they're bringing in a big league player and they ask about a player that's, you know, in the DSL or in your complex league or something like that, you need to hang up the phone because the, they do that part, I think, better than anybody right now in terms of using every avenue of talent acquisition. You know, they've been drafting better. Uh, they find really good players in the international market. You know, uh, and, then, and then they find uh, these guys via trade who are not known when they acquire them and end up as top 100 guys and then very, very good big leaguers. Now the Dodgers are the only team uh, whose farm system has been in the top 10 more times than the Rays uh, over the course of those 18 rankings, 15 times out of 18. Uh, so that's uh, Dodgers and Rays at six and seven. We talked about the Nationals at eight. Padres and Rangers round out the top 10. Uh, Padres back in the top 10 after falling down to 17, 17, 28, 23 uh, in recent rankings, and then a big jump back up to number nine, Rangers' fourth straight time in the top 10. The complete farm system rankings can be found on mlb.com slash pipeline. Check them out there. Uh, Jim did a very good job of explaining why those rankings are important, which leads us to a similar question uh, in the mailbag from Greg Matterin, who says, could you please talk about what the rankings mean? And uh, He's talking about the prospect rankings, not the farm system rankings. How you balance different factors like proximity to MLB with raw talent levels or tools with actual stat lines, et cetera. What does it mean? What does it all mean, guys? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately when we're, we're doing rankings, if you want to boil it down to one sentence, if we have one guy ranked, say, eighth on the top 100 list and one guy ranked ninth, we're saying we, we think the guy who's ranked eighth 
is going to have a better major league career than the guy who ranks ninth. I know some places will look at what a guy does in the first six years of his career because of free agency and teams may not be able to hold on to guys. I, I mean, I think it's fair to say, Jonathan, right? When we ultimately we're boiling it down to when all is said and done, who's going to have the best big league career? Is that fair to say? Yeah. 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 Long and time. like, it's, and, and, you know, Greg kind of mentions there's a bunch of things you take into consideration. Obviously, you know, you're looking at tools, you're looking at performance. I think as you get closer to the big leagues, the performance matters more. You can have all the tools in the world, but if you're hitting 220 and AA, like <laughs> there's something wrong. You, you got to factor that in. Um, you know, you, I think, you know, we get our hands on some of the data and, you know, how guys are, are performing, you know, how, what the underlying uh, indicators are below that performance. We talked, I think it was on last week's podcast where Roman Anthony was off to a slow start in the Red Sox system this year in, in single A, but his data was jumping off the charts in terms of how hard he was hitting the ball, how much contact he was making, how much he wasn't chasing. And the Red Sox said, Hey, we're going to promote this guy because he's, he, the numbers don't show up, but he's doing everything he should. He's, he's mastered single A and he's gone up and, and torn up high A. Um, you know, I think, you know, Gut feel plays a role to some extent. There's certain players you 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 like a little bit more than other people might, or 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 like less. Um, you kind of boil it all in. I mean, it'd be, it would be nice. Our lives would be a lot easier, Jonathan, if we could take all these factors and put them into an algorithm, and it would spit out. Right. Ranking. We need a model. Um, but you know, it's it's you know, there's some art to it, and there's you know, we try to put some science into it, but you you try to look at all those factors. All right. There you go, Greg. Another good answer from uh, Jonathan doesn't get to weigh in. You're not going to. No, I, I think you covered it, man. I mean, that, that, I gave him a, a, a beat and a half. To, we're, we're, we're on the same page in terms of how we do this. So we're good. All right. Well, again, uh, complete midseason re-rank on MLB.com slash pipeline. Check it out there as well as farm system rankings. Thanks to Brooks Lee for joining us uh, and talking to Jonathan. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you next week.